This is Digital Pathology Today. Now here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Imagine a world without staining. In the excitement of digital pathology, we often forget that we're left with a legacy system of staining tissue, pinks and purples, which is time-consuming and tissue-destructive. There's got to be a better way. Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. Our guest is Dr. Gideon Ho, who co-founded HistoIndex to develop and commercialize the world's first fully automated quantitative stain-free imaging system. Under his direction as CEO, the laser-based stain-free imaging system at HistoIndex was successfully implemented in academic, clinical, and commercial research centers in major universities, hospitals, and research organizations throughout the world. Dr. Ho has multiple patents and journal publications in medical imaging, lasers, and optics to his credit. We're going to be talking about what the promise is of stain-free digital pathology and some of the technologies they've developed. What is multi-photon technology and what is second-generation harmonics? And in terms of clinical applications, the area histoindex is focusing on first is NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. We're going to talk about that. What is it? What's the unmet need? How does it affect society? What are the diagnostic challenges and areas that we can improve upon compared to standard histology? Gideon Ho, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, tell us a little bit about Histo Index. How long have you guys been around? What do you do? What's your mission? What purpose does the company serve? Right. Well, Histo Index, um, we have been around for about 11 years right now. We got incorporated in 2010. We started off from a research lab in Singapore. We spun off from the research lab into a company. And what we do mainly is to use multi-photon stain-free technology to look at tissues, biopsies of both human as well as animal tissues, mainly to look into endogenous biomarkers within the tissue and then apply algorithm, software algorithm and onto these images and to extract a big data out of it, mainly to look into tissues that are very fibrotic using multi-photon technology to look into it. So the whole idea of what we're trying to do is that, and when we first started off 11 years ago, this was a very new thing. The whole digital pathology space was a new thing. We wanted to set up a new standard to basically have a new standard of how tissue diagnostics they are being done and how would that impact in terms of diagnosis of especially fibrotic diseases and how that will be you know, coming forth and using our technology, using our AI, artificial intelligence, be able to come up with or basically help drug development company to get better drugs that works. So that's really a whole basket of uh, ideals and mission, but mainly is really to see how we could better mankind in terms of uh, you know, able to come up with better treatment in terms of uh, for healthcare purposes. Yeah. Stain-free multi-photon technology. Did I say yeah. that right? Yeah, it's quite a mouthful. I kind of understand that. <laughs> so it seems like that has would have a very broad application because one of the challenges with digital pathology is maybe to reimagine the workflow or the way we handle tissue mm-hmm. because what we're actually doing is we're you know, using an old technology, H&E staining for the most part, and then 
you know, trying to retrofit that technology or, you know, stain the, the tissue with H&E and then load it onto a scanner and then view things digitally, but handle the tissue the exact same way. So it seems like this application would have a very, very broad use and could totally change the way we do things. But you started in a very small area with NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Mm-hmm. So maybe tell us, how did you get started focusing on that area? You know, what is it about that disease that caught your attention? You know, what is the societal impact? What challenges did you see in that relatively small area? So when we first started off in a research lab, we were looking at mainly liver tissues, liver fibrosis, and we were looking at viral base fibrosis, viral base insults that basically causes fibrosis in the liver. And then slowly we evolved to look into, of course, the usual hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and then we got into fatty liver. So fatty liver, and before I talk about NASH, I need to talk about fatty liver. Fatty liver is really the accumulation of fat in the liver, in, in the liver itself causes a lipotoxicity that causes by the accumulation of fat. Now that fatty liver will be okay, harmless, you know, until inflammation sets in and scarring sets in, and that's where you, you will get non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. And then with further scarring where it replaces liver cells, that's where you get cirrhotic liver. So non-alcoholic steatohepatitis is mainly the accumulation of fat plus the inflammation and the scarring. That's where you get NASH. So NASH today, about 25% of adults worldwide have fatty liver. It's closely associated with type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, and the obesity, the epidemic itself. So 1.4 billion people worldwide, and we're talking about adults right here, out of which 30% of patients with fatty liver progress to NASH, and out of which 20% would then progress to a more severe form of uh, liver fibrosis, which is liver cirrhosis, and, and that's what it is. It's a global pandemic with an unmet need for effective treatments it's a chronic pandemic if i can say that okay, um that, that that's that's yep go ahead that's amazing 25 to 30 percent i mean that's a very large portion of the population i think it's kind of i don't know if you would agree it's maybe like a silent pandemic because you know my yeah. experience there was never much sympathy for it or you know for maybe a lot of reasons like it seemed like it, it was a number one it was kind of like a non-specific finding Right. Yes, yes. And, it's, you know, oh, that's just associated with obesity or that's associated with poor health or, you know, something like that. But it didn't seem like it was a very specific disease and that there was much concern about finding a cure or being able to better diagnose or classify these patients. So it seemed like a very, an unmet need, but a very large one. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, it is uh, indeed like a silent killer, mainly misunderstood chronic condition where you know it's linked to obesity, of course it is. And uh, but once the liver get into a stage whereby it's fibrotic, even you know having a weight loss have very limited effect on it. So it is a, definitely a very big problem right here. Therefore, there are currently ninety ongoing drug trials in phase one to phase three NASH clinical trials in the United States and and EU, and you know, wanting to bring forth uh, promising drugs uh, to the patients with NASH. And none of the drug has been approved yet. It's currently all basically on trials right now. So it is definitely a very big uh, global market. In fact, I can tell you it is expected to reach about $84 billion in 2029. 
is growing at a CAGR of about 40% from 2018 to 2029. That's really the projection. So from a diagnostic perspective, what were the unmet needs or what were the areas that we could do better in? Perhaps developing a system of classification, coming up with various criteria to better classify the disease or find histologic features that would correlate with outcomes and maybe even response to drugs? I mean, what were the areas of focus from the perspective of histopathology Mm -hmm. that you could really develop tools to help, you know, advance the diagnosis and treatment of this disease? Yes. So the current gold standard to diagnose NASH is still biopsy-based. So it's looking at the biopsies of the NASH patients. And the way to diagnose it definitely will still be based on pathologists looking under the, you know, using a, a set of categorical scale stages and scores to look into the stratification of fibrosis, as well as the activity, activity of the fatty liver, which uh, they are inflammation statuses and ballooning, which is really a ballooning of the hepatocytes. So this these are a usual way of diagnosing for NASH. But as you will know, in terms of that, it is very difficult for that to be categorical scored in a very consistent manner. And that's where digital pathology comes in, especially in the area of drug development where you are looking into measuring the magnitude of efficacy in a drug. You will need to have a more more objective and more consistent methodology and technology to measure, especially if you know, on a continuous scale and not just on a categorical, you know, stage zero to stage four kind of a scale. So the whole challenge right now is actually in the field of drug development where how we could have a better, more sensitive way of measuring the effect of the NAS drug. And that's really what FDA is currently looking at it right now too. And I would say the whole field, the whole NASH field is trying to grapple with this particular challenge on uh, this particular diagnostic challenge on measuring efficacy of drugs undergoing trial right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really highlights what the promise is of digital pathology. I think in my mind, two things would stand out. One is, you know, from a metabolic perspective, I think hepatocytes are incredibly complicated. There's a lot going on in terms of the metabolic machinery Mm -hmm. in the liver and probably much or all of it is not visible to the human eye. So A, is there an opportunity, you know, for molecular type analysis or different stains that can highlight various metabolic pathways? Mm -hmm. And then B, uh, in terms of fibrosis, I mean, we can all, you know, we have trichrome stains or other standards that human beings can use to highlight fibrosis. But in terms of measuring things and quantifying things, you know, I think image analysis or artificial intelligence can do a much better job, particularly with these repetitive tasks that, you know, is just beyond the ability of a human being to consistently measure and quantitate. That's right. So are there um, tools that highlight the various molecular pathways of the hepatocytes? I think there are there are quite a number of uh, you know non-invasive uh, tools, but in terms of looking at really able to drill down deep into looking into what is going on within at the tissue level, of course, you will need to to look into tissue diagnostics of stains. There are a lot of stains that look at. We have there are current stains that look into just looking at inf- you know inflammation and even just look at ballooning. 
the most, I would say, fibrosis is definitely the killer right here. Now, everything else that causes the insult is it, uh, you know, at the end of it, you will see the resultant effect in the fibrosis. And that's the, you know, that's the killer right there. And as you have just mentioned, mesentrichrome stains, because I was stains, these are usual stains to look into fibrosis. But, you know, with every stains, there are variations. I've seen variation in stains for, of mesentrichrome as well as because stains coming from the same lab used by the same set of uh, technicians in the same group of te technicians. And yet there are variations in the stains. And one of the challenge and limitations of that what we see is that with variations of stains it will affect the ai output as well so so that's the reason why we use stain free in short yeah so i think stain free i think has huge promise even beyond nash so are you looking beyond nash really to apply this to all cases in histopathology or many more applications yes yes i mean the short answer is yes we have been using the same technology to look into fibrosis of the liver the kidney the lung bone marrow i mean a, a whole white is easily about 20 applications different parts of the body that we that we look at using the same technology a different ai of course because every organ has its own specific ai algorithm that's being you know, machine learn and being trained to look into and quantify that particular uh, organ, the tissue from that particular organ. And even looking at um, fibrosis in tumors as well. So that's another big area that we're looking at in the area of cancer, triple negative breast cancer, high-grade serious ovarian cancer, liver cancer. These are the usual ones that we use our technology to look into the cancer part. So a lot of a lot of applications. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it, it would take me a few hours just to just to talk about the various ones. Yes. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, AI algorithms, of course, are a big part of it. And so, we'll, I'd love to get into that. So, but first, tell us maybe a little bit about the technology. So, what is multi-photon technology? Oh, okay. <laughs> I could spend a one hour just to talk about the physics part. I, I think I'm going to go real high level on this. It. The foundation of this technology is actually known as two-photon microscopy. So what it does is that instead of having one photon commonly used in confocal microscopy, we use two photons that, that have higher energy levels and they are being emitted at the same time. So you have two photons being emitted at the same time and interacting with the tissue. It results in a generation of second harmonic signals or what we call SSG. So these second harmonic signals will be reflected from any non-central symmetrical structures like collagen fibers, and they are then detected by the photomultiplier tube, the PMT, at a wavelength of about 390 nanometer. So at the same time, a transmitted photons from the two-photon emission of TPE allows us to capture information on cells. So to summarize this, you have really two simultaneous signals coming out when the two photons interact with the tissue. One is SSG and the other one is two photons you know, that looks into the autofluorescence of the cells. And the other one, SSG, looks specifically at collagen fibers. I hope that, that really okay. explains it in a nutshell. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. So I think for our pathologist listeners, I think we're familiar with fluorescence and uh, the harmonics, certainly that's kind of what we're visualizing in fluorescence studies, but you're not using stains though, is that right? 
No, we're not using stains at all. All these are stain-free, so you are looking at endogenous biomarkers from the tissue without staining them and using SHG and two photons. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're exciting the photons that are naturally occurring in the tissue. That's right. So how it results in the SSG or the second second harmonic generation. So how specifically is the SSG applied as an endpoint or a marker, say in, in trials looking at NASH? Is, maybe could you explain how that would work? So what SSG does is to allow the collagen fibers to become visible, even though, so in unstained tissue, in an unstained liver, in this case, I would say liver. And what SSG does is very much a, it's a physics process. So there's, a, there's an interaction of the photons with the tissue. And you get to see very fine collagen fibers usually being picked up that not even seen using normal stains like MT stain or PSR stains. And with that itself, you are then using AI algorithm, machine learning tools to, base, to be able to quantify the amount of collagen. The whole morphology and architecture of collagen could be quantify basically because of that and that is very important especially when it comes into nash clinical trials where you use your measuring before and after treatment of the drug itself what happened to the tissues and all these important features and quantified data will be required to show if the drug works or not and that you know in terms of that our tool our ai platform is being used as a secondary endpoint and in a fda and what it means as a secondary endpoint is, is that when the the pharma or the biotech company, when they put in the protocol for their drug to be run on the trials, they use our tool to measure before and after treatment. And that is an endpoint. If they get to see that improvement using our tool, that means they have fulfilled their secondary endpoint, their endpoint. And that is something that FDA will take a look at it as well. Okay, so you'd have specific algorithms evaluating NASH or specific endpoints assessing the uh, SSG in NASH and then applying that to clinical trials. So then in, when you move into other diseases, it's going to be possible to use the same technology, but then just with different criteria, different scoring systems and different AI algorithms? That's right. That's right. You will use a, a bespoke AI algorithm for specific disease of a different organ. I see. I see. And so as we move away, because I think you're, you're probably not going to stay in the clinical trial space in this application, but as you move to more broader applications, you know, what's the value proposition or the business case, so to speak, for this stain-free AI-based digital pathology mm -hmm. system as you move away from clinical trials and into diagnostics. Is there a path forward there? Yes. So we are quite different in a sense. We have uh, validated technology. We publish easily about 10 to 15 papers every year just based on NASH and throughout the NASH uh, work in the clinical trials. So you could just imagine with me the whole clinical trials in NASH validate the technology that we have, validate the AI platform that we have. And when a drug has been approved, that validated platform and will then follow the drug all the way into the clinical diagnostic space where we get to see how our technology could be used on a daily basis in the hospitals. So I can tell you that even on a regulatory side, we are we are pursuing a very much a FDA IVD pathway, you know, towards both 
having our both the hardware as well as the software being going through clinical trials at this moment in time and getting approval for FDA IVD. And that is one of the route that we are pursuing. So yes, there's a business case, start off with the clinical trials, get it validated, having the pharmas and the biotechs involved in developing their drugs using our tool and then moving towards the clinical diagnostics. I think what makes that attractive is being able to deploy tools in clinical practice that were the same tools that were used to develop and validate to be used in the clinical trial, which is yes. I think is very, very attractive. But then maybe the, a challenge or a downside is how practical is it going to be for a pathologist to use these tools in daily practice when they have, you know, what we're looking to do is simplify or streamline the workflows. So is, is it going to be able to fit in to the daily practice, into the, the pathologist cockpit, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think that's a very good question. And uh, what we are, in fact, running a few trials right now on our own with the involvement of large pharma companies is to basically use our tool as um, AI aiding tool. And what it does is that it's a tool that aids the pathologist. Is You can look at it as an assistive tool. It assists the pathologist in terms of their daily workflow, in terms of how they scores and stage, for example, fibrosis. And what it does is that nothing is going to change on their side. On the pathology side, they will still do the whole staging process of fibrosis using the same old way of uh, categorical staging. But what is going to be different is that they, alongside right now, they have an AI tool that comes along with me, and that comes from SSG. They come, it comes from our readout from the AI part of it. It basically go alongside as the pathologist stage and diagnose, you know, NASH. So that's ongoing right now. We are showing forth data to see how, how much more improvement with AI coming in to really aid pathologists as compared to without AI. So that's in a nutshell what we're going to do. And that's how we will foresee that going to be like really integrating into the pathologist workflow on how AI could be used in the future. So for me itself, I, I will see that as that's how the future will be like, really uh, how machine and human will interact together, not replacing one another. I mean, not I'm not saying that a machine is going to replace the human. I'm saying that the machine will really be helping the human in terms of efficiency, you know, basically being and more accurate, of course, in terms of and more consistent in the way the diagnosis is being done. Okay. Yeah, I guess one of the beauties of, you know, AI algorithms and AI technology is it can kind of be seamless. It's software. It can live in the cloud or even locally, mm -hmm. really. So that might not be disruptive or cumbersome for the pathologist that can kind of be running in the background. And maybe a good way to look at it is, you know, this could replace the trichrome stain, right? Which is, which we already use. So we obviously have different tools for different applications, but is there a, a hardware uh, component that goes with this when we're measuring these SSGs or photons being emitted? Yes. So you have to use specific hardware and we have a hardware specifically for that. And that hardware will be placed into hospitals that will be the hardware that will be used to scan and to get all your SSG signal coming out. So your spot on, I think, in terms of uh, how it will be used, will this will be a quite a quite a paradigm shift in terms of how we are moving towards replacing not the pathologist but rather the stains, really empty stains, picosaurus rate stains, and these are the ones that we are seeking to replace. 
Yeah. Well, Goody and Ho, thank you so much for being with us. So on a personal note, let's learn a little bit more about you. How did you come to be interested in digital pathology and artificial intelligence and developing these great tools? <laughs> okay. I started off as an engineer. So I'm, I'm really a hardcore mechanical engineer by training. And uh, I did my basic degree and honors degree basically in, in mechanical engineering. I moved on to, to get my master's in engineering in more like, uh, I would say, triple E, electronics and electrical engineering, and then PhD more towards bioengineering. So I, it all started when I was doing my PhD, how I was looking at the interaction of light with tissues. So laser tissue interaction, looking at collagen, and you know, it all started during my PhD days. I then went on to did I did my postdoc and that furthered my interest in this area. So my co-founder together with me, we started a company and we, we wanted to use laser and how we could use laser in the area of looking at tissue diagnostics. That was how it all started. And of course, naturally with with the images that's being acquired using SSG second harmonics, the next thing will be to use machine learning on this and to really quantify the biomarkers within this tissue. So we started looking at quantification before words like machine learning and artificial intelligence became the buzzwords. Those were like 10 over years ago. We started to quantify using rudimentary algorithms at a time. So that's how we got into AI. So it wasn't called AI back then, but it was, you know, AI. Yeah. Sounds like it's been an exciting journey. And I think it must be very gratifying to see it come together now to make it a reality in 2021. Yeah, like you said, AI is a very hot topic in digital pathology, and I think it's really going to change how we do things. So what excites you? Where do you see the field headed in the next 10 years or so? What excites me definitely will be in the area of how the journey that we have, and uh, every day it's really exciting when we see what we are doing, what the tools the, that we are developing being used today in the real world in developing drugs for a very big problem in NASH. And how do I see that happening in 10 years? Today, we are doing clinical trials. Today, we are coming out, assisting the drug companies come out with a drug that will be approved by regulatory bodies. And, and what we will see in the near future will be how our AI digital pathology stain-free tool will be used in clinical diagnostics in hospitals and you know, throughout the world and how it will be used to look at not just liver fibrosis, but fibrosis in different organs, in different diseases, including cancer. Oh, wow. Not just liver fibrosis, but different organs, different diseases, cancer, and other applications. Well, our guest has been Dr. Gideon Ho from Histo Index. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.